You may be seated. As we begin this morning, I invite you to pull out your bulletin. There are some notes there I think that will help you uh, as we work through this text. Uh, there's many different ways to preach. There is storytelling and uh, other aspects. And today I'm going to preach through this text verse by verse because there is so much here that I think if we try to do it any other way, we're going to lose an aspect of what God's trying to teach us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit today is doing something in us, that there may be a, a snippet or a, an aspect that's important for you more than another. And so I want to make sure we hit those different points because the Holy Spirit has something for you today that he wants to speak into your life. He wants to give you hope and he wants to give you courage. And so if you would pull that bulletin out, you can follow along. And also it'll be helpful if you pull out your Bible uh, page 398, 399 is Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're in the second part. As you know, Nehemiah is this uh, event where God's people were in exile. God had promised them if they wouldn't repent, if they wouldn't ask for God's forgiveness and seek him as the center of their lives, that God loved them enough that he was going to orchestrate some situations so that they would turn their hearts back to him because he loves us that much. He won't just let us go wayward without him pursuing and leading us. So Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we begin today. And I want to start uh, just with a, a brief point. Uh, the sermon title today is Perseverance Amidst Problems. I'm assuming you've had some problems in your life. Uh, maybe you have some current problems. And what does it mean as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, to persevere in the midst of different problems? And this is what we see in Nehemiah. Winston Churchill, ring a bell. It took Winston Churchill three years to finish eighth grade. Supposedly he was struggling learning the English language, and it took him three years to finish eighth grade. And, and years later, he was invited to Oxford to deliver a commencement address. He got up. He said, never give up. And he spoke again. He said, never give up. And the crowd starts cheering and cheering and getting a little bit excited. And he says, what do you think? Never give up. Now, whether that was the end of his commencement address, I don't know. It reminds me of Jimmy Valvano, who was a, a basketball coach, South Carolina, I believe, in the 80s. And he was battling cancer in, in 1990-something. He was at the ESPN Awards, and he said, Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. These are great words, a great reminder that amidst problems, there is the ability, there is the will within the human life to continue to persevere, right? I mean, good message, and, and we see this statistically with those who are sick and ill. If you want to persevere, you 
often can add weeks, months to your life. And if you choose not to, you can, you can kind of speed the process up. And yet, that's true. And that can be helpful. And yet, the center of don't give up is who? Your will. Your perseverance. It can only take us so far. In Nehemiah, what we see is this, that Jesus is the center of what he's doing and what he's saying. And, and so imagine uh, the strength of the human will, uh, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and moving in the midst of, of problems and yet having to curb our will to his will. But we want to keep Jesus at the center. And as we continue to preach through uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 today, as we think about we can do more together, the Holy Spirit can do so much greater things in us and together when we're keeping Jesus as the center. And all of us are working together in the name of Jesus, celebrating and cultivating and connecting people to the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet there's a reality here. There'll be problems. Little problems, and sometimes really big problems. And so how do you persevere in the middle of it? So Nehemiah chapter 2, let's go to God in prayer before we begin. Father God, we praise you and we thank you that you love us enough to not leave us where we're at, but you use situations, Lord, to refine us, to call us, to sanctify us, and to remind us of your persevering, sovereign love and your grace. And so, Holy Spirit, we just commend this time to you and ask that you would do something in us to point us back to you, to keep you at the center of all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, amen. So the first thing is this, serving God results in us giving up the God of least resistance. Giving up the God of least resistance. So Nehemiah was preparing for months. He was praying, he was planning, he was journeying through that God was going to send him back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. But so often, we give in to the God of least resistance, the easy way, the, the comfortable way. But as we serve God, as God wants to do more and more through us, he wants us to die to this idol of ours. This can be in relationships, it can be in a job, it can show up in all sorts of ways. It's just easier to let it go. And sometimes that's a good strategy, right? To not make a mountain out of a molehill, right? That's not what I mean by giving up the God of least resistance. I'm talking about a habitual pattern that some of us have. Or uh, in certain situations, we continue to move through this pattern of least resistance. And God is saying, I want you to die to that. And I want you to follow me and keep me at the center and push through that boundary, that hurdle, and that challenge for you. And so we see in Nehemiah that he gives up this predictable life as a cupbearer, uh, his established circumstance, his job security, and he allows God 
he allows God. God moves him, let's just be simple, right? God moves him to do something that he doesn't think he could probably do on his own, but he's faithful to God and he pushes through. He's being obedient to the calling that God laid on him. Reminds me of this quote. Tim Keller said this about obedience. He said, if you only obey God's word when it seems reasonable or profitable to you, that isn't really obedience. All it is is agreement, meaning reality still centers around you. So my question for you to ponder is this, and maybe you want to chicken scratch a word or two if, if the Spirit's laying something on you, is, is there a place, a relationship, a situation in your life that you see that you keep moving towards the God, small g-o-d, of least resistance? Or is there something in your life where you continue to obey, but it's really easy and really simple. And that's just agreement, according to Keller, in a sense. But life still centers around me. And what Jesus is calling us to, he's calling us up into something so much more glorious, so much greater, something uh, beyond what we could ever do on our own with our own will of don't give up, just keep going, just keep churning. He wants to do something in and through us that is great for his kingdom and, and great for us as his disciples. And so serving God results in giving up the God of least resistance. Serving God also means that we're preparing for opposition. It doesn't take too long to live this life to know there's going to be opposition, that there are going to be critics. And so you know, Pastor Steve said this the other week, as, as parents, right, you know the kids are going to be misbehave, and so, and grandparents, so we're going to prepare for the fact, guess what, that they're going to misbehave. Shocker. And as a, as a spouse, you're going to prepare that your spouse is going to let you down. So, Prepare yourself for that, how you prepare yourself for that in a, in a holy, pleasing way so that when you respond, right, you do so in a loving, refined, righteous way. And then we all sit here and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Three words that should become very comfortable to come off of our lips and to come off of our tongue. Nehemiah knew that there were going to be people to oppose him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that we should love the Lord our God with our, well, he says this, we should love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind. He says that, right? He also says we should love our brothers and sisters, right, in, in the faith. And then he says in Matthew chapter 5, we should love our enemies. And we sit there and go, man, with my will, that's going to be really hard to do. I mean, I might be able to get one or two at-bats and, and be able to, to hit it, but to, to bat a thousand, it's just not going to happen. God's got to do something in me, and i got to let his will have his way with me, and I need to let Jesus be at the center, and I need to allow him, if I will, to be at the center so he can curb my will, so he could prepare me to love my enemies, to love my critics, to love those who are, who are constantly poking and jeering, so I can respond with love, right? 
placing heaping coals on their head, the scriptures say in other places. And Ephesians chapter 6, that we heard Kim read earlier, says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. But you sit there and go, but this person continues to poke and, and criticize and is relentless towards me. And Ephesians 6 reminds us our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities, against Satan who keeps this person in darkness and continues to to weigh them down and push them down. And that allows me to have a posture of empathy towards them. And once I have a posture of empathy towards someone, I don't know about you, but that starts to change the way I respond. None of this is easy, guys. It wasn't easy for Nehemiah to go to the king and ask for all that he asked for. It wasn't easy for Nehemiah to ride into the city and see the city of God's people absolutely in ruin. It wasn't easy that immediately when he got there, he had critics screaming in his ear and criticizing him. I'm not saying it's easy. What I'm saying is if we keep God at the center, we remain holy. And God can do great, wonderful, marvelous things amidst it all. So serving God means giving up the God of least resistance. It means uh, preparing for opposition. It also means resting first or Sabbath. If you pulled out your Bibles, it's it's time to peer down and, and look at something absolutely marvelous. Something so outside of my world, at least, maybe outside of your world. If you go to Nehemiah chapter 2, let's read this together. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. So I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Oh, man, in just such simple words and such a simple message, he's been preparing for months. He's been praying and fasting. He has a letter from the king that allows him to travel. He has a letter from the king that says uh, they're going to give him all the materials and supplies to rebuild the city gates. He comes into the city with an army and entourage, and he gets there, and he what? Rests. Not overnight because he got in at 3 in the morning. No, he rested for how many days? Three days, by the way. That's a holy number. <laughs> Just wondering, any of you on a, on a company project, how would it go if you just got to the project, didn't go assess it, but you just rested for three days? How do you think that would go over? Not even, here's the deal. Not even a project let's, for, for the company. Let's just say for yourself, right? Maybe you, uh, Pastor Steve was at the family farm this week, okay? Imagine if Steve got to the farm with mom and dad and got there and just rested for three days. And then said, hey, dad, now we're ready. Let's go out and tackle that fence project. Like, you see how just opposite that is of our way of doing things? Like, even in my heart, like, I just want to go work and fix the problem and get it solved. Anybody like that? Like, rest for three days? Talk about driving me crazy. Oh. So what do we take away from this? 
It's all about Sabbath. All about Sabbath of resting, and I don't mean sleeping, playing golf, and hunting. That's, that's rest, okay? When we talk about Sabbath, we're talking about resting in the Lord and in, in his ways and in his word. So he's transforming our hearts and preparing us for these things we're talking about. So third commandment, right? We should remember the Sabbath and keep it what? Holy. Fear love God so we don't despise preaching, but we should learn and inwardly digest his word. So Luther in the small, large catechism lays out all sorts of amazing things. He has a long section on this. And I want to just give you a little bit of it. But as I read, I want you to write down, I want you to start forming and let the Spirit speak to you. How does God want to form Sabbath in my life? Okay, worship is one of those things. He says this. Indeed, we Christians ought to observe an ongoing holy day and be totally involved with holy things, that is, daily, occupy ourselves with God's word, carrying it into our hearts and on our lips. He goes on. In that way, our entire life and being will be under the direction of God's word. The treasure that sanctifies all things is the word of God, by which the saints themselves were sanctified. And whatever our one uses, preaches, hears, reads, or thinks about God's word, it sanctifies the person, his day, his work. Not because of the external act, but because the word of God makes saints of us all. Therefore, I keep repeating that if our life and our labor are to be God-pleasing or holy, they must be conducted in the light of the word of God, where that happens where the third commandment is being observed according to its full intent. Notice, therefore, that the vital thrust of this commandment is not a matter of physical rest. Not this commandment. We can go elsewhere to talk about physical rest. And we can preach all about that, too. That's important. But here, particularly, about sanctifying so that this day may have its own particular holy work. Therefore, you must at all times have the word of God in your heart, on your lips, and in your ears. But where the heart remains unmoved, and the word does not resound, there the devil breaks in and does his damage before one realizes it. On the other hand, when we sincerely ponder and apply the word, it has, so, has such power that its fruit never fails. The word always awakens new understandings, new delights, and a new spirit. A new spirit of devotion and is constantly cleansing our heart and our thinking. For here are not limp and lifeless words, but words that are alive and move to living action. Sabbath. Resting in the word of God. First, there's a reason why, I love this, our calendars begin, a monthly calendar begins with what day of the week? Sunday, right? It begins because this is the day we celebrate the resurrection of our God, new life, abundant life. Jesus rose from the dead to propel us into what God has in store for us. So if we have critics or we have least resistance coming up, we are prepped for what's going on this coming week. 
So where is it God's calling you to be more consistent in worship? Where is it he's calling you to to get into a a Bible app with some uh, devotions? Where is it that he wants to have some serious time with you, spend time with you? Maybe it's the the, the pop shot, right? 10, 10, 20 seconds, or maybe it's the 30 minutes. What what does God want to do and use that time to, to form in you? So you guys have been really gracious to me, so I'm going to be really gracious to you. I'm going to fly through the rest of this. Does that sound good? Yeah. So here we go. Serving God results in discretion and vision. This is verses 11 through 16. He gets up three days later. He arises and checks out the situation. He initiates a vision. He investigates what's going on, and then he invigorates the people. He said in verse 17, Then you see the trouble we're in and how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burns. Come, let us rebuild, build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And they say, let us rise, let's rise up and let's build. So they strengthen their hands for the work of God. Serving God results in discretion and vision. And serving God means responding to critics. I think we're just going to take this section and say, we got to preach on this some other time. But here in short, in all three of our readings, we see these principles. That the critics can come from the outside like they came from Nehemiah. From other people. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see the emphasis that the critic can come as a spiritual battle from Satan and his minions. And in Mark chapter 7, we see that the critic comes from within. From the thing that comes from within our own sinful nature that can defile us. Critics can come from other people can come from a spiritual um, adversary or can even come from within. And just as King David, as we spoke in the very opening, Psalm 51, right? After he had committed adultery, he responds, clean, cleanse me. Create a clean heart in me, O God, and put a faithful spirit inside of me. Just as we said with the children. God, may you wash over me. Clean my heart, O God. And renew a right spirit, the spirit of Jesus within me. And so in conclusion, all these things happen. But opposition and overwhelming needs are opportunities where God orchestrates his plans, brothers and sisters. Because there's opposition or because there's overwhelming need. Don't think that's where God's not working. That's where God often puts us. It's where God often does his greatest work is in the midst of overwhelming need and opposition. Just look at the life of Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross amidst overwhelming need, amidst opposition, critics and jeering and laughing and and vileness. God does and orchestrates his greatest plans. And so may the God of all hope, the God of the way and the truth and the life, create and clean in us 
a new spirit, that we wouldn't shrink from these opportunities, wouldn't shrink from these problems, but they would be opportunities that God can shine his greatest light, his greatest love, and his greatest hope for his glory's sake. And bow your hearts with me. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you that problems aren't left to us alone to, to steer up, to, to rise up and in such a way that we have to have enough willpower to get through it. But Father, you come to the weak and the brokenhearted and, and you ask that Jesus would be at the center of it all. And so Jesus, would you forgive us? Would you restore us, reorder us, and realign us with your way, O oh Lord? That when we see critics, when we hear opposition, even if it's within inside of us or outside of us, Jesus, that we would ask your forgiveness, that you would renew us, but that you would empower us by the Spirit of Jesus. Send us forth so that your name might be glorified. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.